I know that doesn't set well with much of the church anymore, um, and yet I believe it's quite frankly much of the scriptures that kind of lead us to this place and would have us to think rightly. And quite, it, it is hard when in the midst of those times, uh, if you don't have this view, to say, wait a minute, this is actually for my good. If you've not thought about it before you're in the midst of it. Some of you are in the midst of it right now. And I trust you've already given some thought to this matter. Is it easy? Is a sermon easy to preach? No, but it is necessary because we are Christians seeking to grow. We're Christians seeking to live this life not yet home where there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more... (laughs) Uh, in the same home where the parents seemed to show favoritism and it, I believe, affected this pampered boy and this slavery. Let's see if we can make a little cash off of our brother. And then he gets down to Egypt and he's years in jail. It's hard for us to even imagine, um, but it is accounted for us in the scriptures. It is told to us of this story and uh, the Bible, by the way, for those of you or you've heard people say it's a little outdated, that's a, that can, you could make a movie out of this particular account of this guy, and they have. But it is quite current for us as he's locked in prison with very little hope of being rescued. He didn't know the story, the rest of it, because we can read it in an hour, the whole account of Genesis. But there he was to be forgotten and yet released some years later. And the astonishing thing about the story is at the very right time in the history of God's redemption of a people, what does God do? He raises up this man to make him the prime minister of Egypt, the right-hand guy to Pharaoh. And as we think about that, I trust that we can at least have some measure of stepping back and saying, you know, the Lord orchestrated that event and don't wrongly think, well, those are just the big events in the Bible that the Lord has done. For if you do believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that he's doing these very things, though he's not revealed it to us like these stories, same God, same view that we should have towards our God in light of this account that is for us. And so let me read just a few verses of after all of these things take place in his life. The brothers were concerned about what's going to happen now that they found out their brother's kind of in charge. And when daddy dies, uh uh-oh, what is he going to do to us? And so as we hear these words, I trust that they will help us this day to think about how pain is purposeful. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brother and their sins because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servant of God, of your father. They lied, basically. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Help us, Father, to hear the words of Scripture and that they will be for us uh, instruction on how we are to live in the Christian life in, in terms of this passive discipline that's been brought to bear on our lives, many of us already, many of us currently, uh, certainly all of us in the future. And so grant to us right thinking, we pray, about this subject. And that by your Spirit, Lord, that it, it, your Spirit would, would stir in our hearts a good and right view towards the hand of God upon our lives. We bless you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. It is uh, my hope that you would see the purposeful response to sorrow, a biblical response to sorrow, um, and that it would not be disappointment, but that it would be in some measure that when pain comes, it is for good. Though we don't feel it, and I know this is not easy to hear if you're in the midst of it and you're in the depths of it, and yet we have to have that in our minds or else our emotions will lend themselves to leading us astray and denying God and even for some, even His existence, sadly. And so we come to this situation that sorrow is intended for good. So what am I to see in the midst of my sorrow? Well, I I hope that the Lord would get all of our attention. And uh, it's like talking to the soon-to-be-weds, and you tell them about marriage, and they go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they get married, as I've had many of them come back and say, oh, now I understand what you meant. And I think similarly, sometimes we do that when we're hearing sermons about sorrow if we're not in the midst of it. But may the Lord, by His kindness, grant to you a, a full embrace of that which we see today, that we might have a sense of our dependency upon God in the depths of even those hardest of times. And so, in order that this good might come for our, uh, in the midst of our sorrow, um, there's a few things I want us to see. First of all, in your sorrows, wait patiently. Wait patiently. We've all heard it said that uh, hindsight is 20-20. After you've gone through it and you get on the other side of something and you look back and you can say, now I understand why. Clearly, when we look back and we know something that's happened already, we have a better view towards it. One, one time in life, Joseph could not have had the view of this passage that we find ourselves briefly in this morning. I, I can't imagine that in his immaturity as a teenager, having been thrown into jail at a young age, he could have said the very words that he said right here. We don't know, but certainly he didn't understand uh, at the time he's in jail what God was doing 
And yet we take this story, this account, and it helps us to say, wow, here is Joseph. He looked back and he saw the many lives, as he described in our text, that were saved as a result of him being ultimately brought to Egypt in a horrible manner because God intended to save lives. And so he's agonizing there in prison, having been accused of rape. I don't imagine that he could say at that moment, I absolutely understand what the Lord is doing right now. And so I don't want to in any way convey a wrong notion to us that we can have full knowledge. And that's why the point is that we need to wait patiently. Because it's only when we have a more full picture that we might be able to respond with a clearer understanding and can say, I I now see. And I hear the testimonies of oh so many who, who can look back on their lives and see why I went through that ugliness because I'm now able to do something that I would never have done if I hadn't gone through that ugliness. The experiences that we have to, while in the midst of them, know first that it is at the hand of the Lord, but we need to wait patiently. And so from the vantage point, from a great distance of these events, is Joseph able to make this statement, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so as I thought about this, you know, as a child, I couldn't understand why mom and dad would discipline me. Literally, but also in a different sort of way. Uh, You know, you can't go play with your friends for a week because. You know, that was the worst thing in the world to be told that. It was devastating to have to go through that pain of not being able to enjoy that which was taken away from me. And I, I didn't understand. And then I became a parent myself. I learned it a little quicker than that. But there is this way in which the Lord wonderfully, sweetly sets forth for you a perspective as time goes on. Understanding sorrows, as has been said by many, is like reading Hebrew. And some of you know reading Hebrew is not our normal way where we read from left to right, but rather when you read Hebrew, you read from right to left. You read backwards. And so it is to be understood, not while in the midst of the things that are going on, but it is to know that I have to have patience here. Because when we make quick judgments, we might make wrong conclusions in the midst of our suffering. That we try to avoid or take our way self out of these things. And as we wait patiently upon the hand of the Lord, reading it backwards, we can see what Joseph saw looking back. Turn with me for just a moment to Psalm 27. And here we have this beautiful picture or story of David. I'm not going to read the whole of the psalm, but apparently things are pretty difficult for him. When in verse 2 he says, evildoers assail me. It's a word we don't generally use, assail. They're, they're attacking me. They, they want to eat my flesh. 
my adversaries and foes are against me. This, the, the, verse 3, the army is encamped against me. Could be the account of, of Saul uh, who was out to get him. But you just read this, and it's just over and over repeated statements of how hard it is to live the life. And the beauty of this whole psalm is found in 14, where he's basically saying to himself, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so, dear people of there's, a, there's a, an understanding that we, we wait upon the Lord in the midst of our sorrow that we don't uh, so readily want to take matters into our hands and fix all the problems of our lives. That's not to say that we don't labor when we're able, but sometimes I believe that we have this view of our own sovereignty rather than at some level saying, Lord, I want to wait patiently for you. For you alone work in my life and do I have a view towards your hand upon me? Because we're all not inclined to wait. We're all rather in a hurry. We rush and rush and rush. And yet part of a right view of this that is a passive discipline is, is waiting upon the Lord and asking, what, what are you doing? Would you grant me an understanding of your view towards these things as I wait patiently upon you. And so we see that in this call that there is in upon us the vantage point of a year, a month, a year, ten years or longer. We may never understand in the midst of the times, and yet we wait upon the Lord and He grants to us in oh so many occasions, not all of them, but here's the reason why that one took place, situation in your life. And so we, in our sorrows, need to wait patiently. Secondly, in our sorrows, we need to think of others, more specifically, of another. In the midst of our sorrows, it's, it's all about ourselves, and we tend to just look at ourselves, and our eyes get so focused uh, upon me. And yet as you consider the story of Genesis, you look back just a few chapters, you go to verse 36 of chapter 42, and here is Joseph's father, Jacob, speaking. And, and he's just, you know, he's lost a son, he thinks he's lost another, and, and he says in verse 36, all this has come against me. And there's this language there, it, it just is so self-focused. And I believe that there is really a, 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 an indirect call for us to consider how it appears in the contrast between God intending it for good and this is against me that there is to be seen a better response to the pain of Joseph when we can at least take our eyes in the midst, as hard as it is. And I, I don't stand before you uh, giving you some antidotal steps of what you should take, but at least give thought to looking outside yourself because by definition, our sinful nature says, only think of yourself. Why was I? 
But that's why a Psalm 27, though he was looking at how they're after me, it was actually looking to the Lord. Taking his eyes upon himself. So oftentimes the Psalms that we might write of our own lives is why me, poor me, terrible me, this is horrible upon me, period. And yet there's a real call here to, to, like Joseph, at some point in the course of his own story, says, Lord, look what you are doing. Look what you have done. Because in the midst of all that which's gone on, what are you doing? You remember the boy in John 9 who was born blind, and, and the disciples are asking a question of Jesus when they say, you know, who sinned? Was it this boy or was it his parents? Again, a question that is primarily focused upon this life, the boy or the parents. But maybe there needs to be an even seeing in Jesus' own answer, neither, but that the works of God may be manifested in him. Wow, Jesus is in effect saying to the disciples, take your eyes off of the boy, take your eyes off of his parents. You're asking a question that seems so horizontal that is looking around you rather than look up. Because Jesus uses that occasion to heal him and to restore his sight. That the, the, the effect is... The Lord had the boy born blind so that on that moment that Jesus could come and place His hands upon the child that He would see and that many would praise the name of the Lord. But when we think only of ourselves, again, am I saying that there are not times in which we do, even the psalmist, but making certain that it at least has in its conclusion, I'm taking my eyes off myself, that we would not ask the, own, the, the narrow question, why me? But rather, Lord, what are you doing in your providence in my life? And even as I sit with people from time to time, you, you, you hear language that is so encouraging. I, this is hard. It, it hurts. But I know the Lord is doing something. And so that we're forced to think of Christ. And so that's why Paul can write in Romans 5 that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. He's basically starting this chain together to say this suffering is driving you to Christ. But if all you're thinking about is yourself, Maury, Guess what? That chain gets broken right there because you're not thinking about anything except yourself. And it is that the Spirit of God is poured out upon your hearts, Paul goes on to say. Right out of seminary, I served with a fellow named John Ball down in Bartow, Florida. Um, He had cancer, 46 He battled it for five years, but in the course of that time after I had left Bartow, but still having communicated with him from time to time, but John was often very quick to say in the midst of, and you know others that have a similar story, 
I'm just living in the shadow of the cross, he said, that the glory of Christ might be seen. Oh, that we would be able to do something like that by God's grace. That as our eyes are looking at ourselves, at least may by His Spirit take uh, our eyes and look beyond, look above, look outside ourselves, that we would say, oh, that Christ, you would receive the glory. Even as Joseph said, oh, many lives were saved because of that which you did in evil to me. And so in your sorrows, in my sorrows, would you wait patiently upon the Lord? In your sorrows, would you think of another, ultimately Christ, who he himself, the great sufferer of the greatest of injustices that could ever occur to anyone because he did not deserve to die. Because he was sinless. He was not subject to that which we are as those who are of the curse and the fall. Think of another. Think of others, but think of another. Ultimately, God and Christ, and what is He doing in the midst of your sorrow? Lastly, in your sorrows, remember God has a purpose. Remember God has a purpose. That He is the great author of all of life. I got to say this. I walked in. I was a little late for prayer. Not on my notes, obviously. Uh, And there's Mr. Cunningham telling a story about a grandfather. Grandfather, father. Great grandfather. In the Civil War, had his arm blown off, laid on a battlefield for a week. uh, Had strapped a strap on his arm. By all accounts, he should have died. And yet... God kept that man alive, as Bob said, because I wouldn't have been here if he had died on the battlefield. And you go, wow, God has a plan. And we are glad Bob is here. But that's just one little story that I happened to come in on in the midst of our elders gathering for prayer. And every one of us probably, if you look close enough, have a story like that. Because God is doing something. And you wonder where he is and why isn't he as active as this account that has a first-hand account of the Lord coming down to earth and living with his disciples and going to the cross. And you've got the revelation at the end. And yet we're, we're in between. What's he doing? He's doing the same things. He's doing the same things. Think of my son who's in Marines, he's in San Diego, and he's a little discouraged, and yet he's got an opportunity to talk to a kid named Owen about the gospel. Doesn't like all that they have to do in the Marines, apparently, but maybe, if nothing else, he's brought into the Marines to witness to Owen. Get back to my notes, sorry, but but you've got to realize... That the Lord is doing bigger things in your little and my little puny life. And that it ultimately ties into salvation and his work of grace. And that we're all so focused upon me. 
And we rarely have little story or comments about how Joseph was able to say, look at what God has done in saving a people. And so we understand that God Himself is here at work in the lives of His people. The rest of the story where Jacob wanted to be buried, not in Egypt, but he wanted to be buried in Canaan. He wanted to be buried in a land that had yet that had been promised to Abraham. You're going, wait a minute. There's another little example. He could have been buried in Egypt, but yet the promise of God to be given the promised land is brought back home in this account with Jacob, who is Israel, the father of God's people. And, and Moses is writing this story here, this Genesis 50 story, while remembering this account is a historical account because Moses is writing it in the wilderness when the people are wandering around and they need to be told that. The rest of the story of Jacob's life, they needed to know that God is a promise-making and keeping God. This the, the unfolding purposes of God are seen here in his hand on Joseph and his father Jacob and where he will be buried. And I just pray that we would find ourselves thinking more and more about the hand of the Lord. Because when you first come across Joseph, he was a, a whiny, proud little boy, a precocious man. And yet in these closing verses, when his brothers came up, they connived the story They're frightened that dad is dead and Joseph's going to treat him poorly. And they didn't know what Joseph was going to do. And so here they find themselves and Joseph looks upon with tears and says, I forgive you. Tears came down his cheeks. The chick says, Oh, people of God, we know not what the Lord is doing in our individual lives, but I want to read another account in Matthew 16. You remember Peter? Kind of a similar sort of guy, sure of himself, quite cocky it seems like. And uh, the Lord has come and he's there with his disciples and he's basically said uh, this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and priests and scribes and be killed on the third day. And Peter took him aside. (laughs) Peter took Jesus, the Messiah, aside. Hey, come over here. Let's talk for just a minute. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Fairly confident fellow Peter was. Jesus turns and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God. He's concerned about the suffering of this life, and he has no view towards God himself. Turn back with me to his, one of his letters where you read Peter saying these words in the first chapter of his first letter. And again, time has gone on from when he confronted Christ and said, come over here, and we come to this place. He's already denied the Lord, and he's been restored to ministry. And you read these verses beginning at verse 6 of chapter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved 
by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more than precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A mature man in the faith, a man who came to understand that his Savior must suffer And the purposes for which he went to the cross or went to Jerusalem to be killed was for the salvation of a man like Peter. And he's applying it to us. And he says that these things, though you experience uh, various trials, testing your faith, ultimately it may be found in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Christ. It hurts to suffer people in this passive discipline that the Lord brings to bear upon our lives. Yet we must hold on to the fact that God intends sorrow and suffering and pain for good. And so when we're in the midst of the storm And the sea billows roar against us. That when the one comes crashing upon us and then there's a moment of relief, we can think the Lord is at work. That I might wait patiently and I look to him and know with confidence that he's doing something. That I will not know in the moment more than likely. But his purposes are good. And he wants us to grow as followers of his. And this is one of those ways. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we we confess that this is not easily heard, nor is it easily said. And yet your scriptures are full and pointing us to our Savior who He Himself suffered greatly. And there were purposes in that as there is in all of life for the Christian. And so grant to us a right view towards these things to be able to praise, bring You honor and glory because we know You're Your children and You intend for us good. We bless you and thank you. In Christ's name, amen. We respond to the preaching of God's word by singing hymn number 610. I think it's to a tune we know. Take up your cross, the Savior said.